listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, by Philip Russell, my man Ryan Shutt. Uh, and gentlemen, this may be silly, but the fact that I was able to bob my head to the intro music makes me feel a little bit better coming off this loss. I must not be in too bad of a mood. Uh, want to say hello to those joining us live on YouTube. Hello to those listening on all of our many podcast platforms. We're part of the Brightside Podcast Network, and we appreciate you joining us. Well, boys, first loss of series. Suns drop game three, 103 to 94. And we're going to do a quick, a quick temperature check of the room. And Philip, I'm going I'm to pass it over to you first as we are coming pretty fresh as we do on these very late episodes. How are we feeling coming off of game three? Just kind of instant reactions. Doing fine. It's not, it's not a huge surprise that the Mavs came back and looked desperate tonight. There's, there's talk on different NBA podcasts that when a team goes down 0-2, they're necessarily going to be the ones who look the most desperate the next game. And that was the case tonight. There was a level of aggression that the Mavericks were playing with that I don't think the Suns matched until well into the second half, kind of in the third quarter when the Suns started to chip away at the lead. Ryan, what about you, my guy? Rocking the lucky jersey that, that didn't quite bring it home tonight, but I did appreciate the effort. It was it was destined to lose at some point, and I guess bringing it from the East Coast to Central Time uh, may, may have messed with some of the uh, the luck vibes a little bit, but um, I think it would feel differently if I felt like the Suns were just like completely outplayed. Um, and I don't really feel like the Mavericks were necessarily like a, the better team tonight. They were in some in some ways, um, but I feel like we shot ourselves in the foot in, in a lot of ways as well. Uh, so all things considered, I'm not feeling awful. Again, we're, we've got a, a 2-1 lead in, in Dallas for game four on Sunday. Um, so I'm disappointed that we lost. You never like to drop a game in a series where you feel like you've been the dominant team. Uh, but I'm still not feeling feeling too bad tonight after after the loss. I do feel like uh, it's a little generous that we got it down to single digits to end the game because I don't think it was quite a single-digit loss uh, if you look at the big picture. Um, but, but still not feeling, not feeling too bad. Yeah, I think, I think a nine point loss. I mean, I think it hovered in that, that 10 to 13 range for a, for a big chunk. They never blew the doors open. They never got it to that 20 mark or something like that. I think their biggest lead 18, I think it got it to 18. Yeah. I thought it was 17. I'll have to have to check that as we talk, but like it never felt completely out of reach. Yeah, largest lead for Dallas, 18, largest for Phoenix, 6. Uh, it, even when it was 18, though, there was enough time in those various moments where it didn't feel like they didn't have a chance. Uh, and all of us actually got to watch together, which is fun with Ryan back in town. And there were multiple shots where it was like, if this goes in, this game gets a lot closer. Uh, I think the quote of the night for me was, if the Suns score a bucket here, there's going to be a lot of tight sphincters in Dallas. Uh, brought to you by uh, Philip Russell. Russell. Philip Russell, educator of the youth. Yes, uh, but no, it was it was real. Like down the stretch in the fourth, the Suns put enough together to make it a game. And so, before we really dive into what we saw on the court, 
what maybe was different from game one and two to game three. Uh, I want to talk first thoughts, and this isn't as much recapping the whole game. This is just one thing that stood out to you, whether it's a stat, uh, a play, something that, that is going to stand out to you as you think about what we saw in Dallas uh, in game three. And Ryan, I'll, I'll let you kick this one off. What kind of sticks with you coming right out of this game? Uh, minus a comparison, and that's 23-17 and 17 against 25-8. and eight. And that's the assist to turnovers between, between Phoenix, Phoenix and, and Dallas. Phoenix had 23 assists and 17 turnovers tonight. Uh, and that is, that is a rough look for a team that normally prides itself on not giving up turnovers, especially when you've got a guy like Chris Paul who prides himself on really never giving uh, the ball over much. And tonight, I think by the time he had seven points, he had seven turnovers as well. I think they even mentioned it on the broadcast. Uh, just a rough night of a lot of mishaps and miscues and offensive fouls. Um, but I think that kind of um, disconnect, I guess, really tells a lot of where the Suns were, especially for the first two and a half quarters, really. Yeah, and I think you mentioned already, Paul played a big part, unfortunately, in both of those numbers. He had seven turnovers in the first half. That's his most in any one playoff half in career history. That dude's been playing playoff games for quite some time now. Uh, Since before Liddy was born, at least. That's very true. Philip. what about you? So in the first half, the Mavericks shot, let me find my notes. The Mavericks shot 43% from the field. The Suns shot 42% from the field. So if you look at percentages, you would say pretty evenly matched first half. Here's the problem. The Mavericks had 51 field goal attempts in the first half and the Suns had 38. That is a problem, and that discrepancy in field goal attempts is usually there for Phoenix because they frequently get out-rebounded. We saw that in the New Orleans series. But a 13 field goal attempt discrepancy in the first half is sizable. It plays into the turnovers that Ryan just mentioned, but you're giving excellent offensive players and like Luca and good offensive players like Jalen Brunson, extra opportunities, not just to score on singular possessions, but to get them going. And you're giving guys like Reggie Bullock opportunities off of misses to find themselves taking those step in easy three point shots that kind of get them in a rhythm as well. Yeah. And, and one other number you mentioned, I actually had that written down as well. Uh, first half numbers, like you said, 42% from the field for the Suns, 43 from from the Mavs. The Suns shot 46% from three in the first half to the Mavs, 26. So like, if you look at those two shooting numbers alone, that leads you to think the first half went a certain way. Uh, and then I think you nailed it, 51 to 38 on shot attempts. What's even crazier is that the rebounding battle went the Suns' way tonight. I think they won the rebounding battle by nine, plus if nine, I remember yeah. Yeah, my, plus nine, my notes from earlier. 40, 45 to 36, I think. And, and typically in this, sure, there's probably caveats here and there. Typically, if you see one team get way more attempts, you're going to see in a closer game a whole lot of offensive rebounds, winning it with second chance opportunities. It was the points off turnovers. Like the Suns gave the Mavericks those extra chances. And the Mavericks capitalized, and that's just something – it was just a hole the Suns didn't seem to be able to get out of. 
uh, giving up 22 points off of turnovers. And I think at halftime, the points off turnovers was Dallas 10, Phoenix 0. So not only were they giving them those opportunities, they weren't taking advantage on the other end as well. So just all in all, the numbers back up, I think, what the eyes showed. It is tough when you have a good three-point shooting night like you do tonight, something we saw isn't always a given after the first series. It's tough to watch that get wasted. Uh, Jay Crowder alone put in an incredible effort tonight. We'll talk about him probably a little bit more later. But even if you get rid of Jay's numbers, they shoot 40% from three. That is still a, a good shooting night from three. So it's a bummer to have one of those wasted. But let's go ahead and get into what made tonight different because basically we saw a very different game than we saw back in Phoenix. And so Philip, as you're looking at what changes were made, uh, what maybe was different just in terms of the way the teams went about it, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of credit to start so that you don't have to pat yourself on the back. We did see an increase of Frankie smokes minutes. And I think those were beneficial. I, you threw that out there as a, what can Dallas do to kind of change things up? We saw it happen, so I want to give you some love there. But outside of Frank, what else did we see tonight that led to such a different outcome? So it's related to him. It's the increase in defensive pressure that actually had an impact on the Suns. And I think it impacted the Suns in a couple different ways. First of all, it didn't allow Booker and CP3 to get up shots if you look at booker's stat line especially booker only took 13 field goal attempts tonight he was six of 13 which is fine from the field four of six from three which is really good but devin booker has to get more than 13 shots in in a game in every game every game in the regular season every game in the playoffs booker's got to get got to get his looks and i think a lot of credit goes to dorian finney smith and the Mavericks playing much, much better defensively. So that's one way. But then secondly, with the increased defensive pressure, I thought some of the Suns' secondary playmakers or even second unit playmakers were just like a half beat slow tonight. There was, there was one possession in particular where campaign gets in the middle of the lane. He had JaVale cutting off of a pick and roll, wide open, was late passing to him, had Cam Johnson in the corner, was late passing it to him, and then either turned it over and missed a shot. But it was like two easy passes, but he was just behind. And I think the defense caught caught some of the Suns players off guard just a bit. So that's a that's a big deal that was that was different tonight. I have a couple I have a couple more, but what did you guys see? What did you guys pick up on those a little bit different tonight? For me, and I, I haven't looked at the numbers on this. I think Ethan may have tweeted out um, at least one chart from the Into the Valley um, Twitter account around halftime. But I found just from the eye test that our play around the rim offensively felt uncharacteristically bad. I felt JaVale, DA, McHale all were missing really what we would consider gimmies. Um, and it just wasn't falling tonight. And I feel like that was a big part. If we make even half of those that we missed, I think we're we're in a in a better spot, and I see uh, to 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 yeah to Philip's point, only 17 bench points from uh, McConaughey Sean there in the chat. Um, 
that's that's uncharacteristic. But I, to me, it was just like I, I felt around the around the rim. We were just we we weren't clued into that and, and just weren't making what usually feel automatic. Yeah. So I have NBA.com up and I have the shot chart pulled yeah, up. I was, I was so in there. in the restricted area, it says the Suns were 11 of 17, which is below league average from there. But then in the paint outside of the restricted area, five of 19 mm. and that, that particular that's sweet area, spot. that's the spot. That's where Chris that's Paul gets spot. a lot of credit for that because he'll get a foot on the right elbow, especially DA of course is, is usually money from, from right there. DA from that outside of the restricted area, but still on the paint tonight was just one of four. He was just one of four. So it's not a ton of shots, but the ones that he got, he missed. Yeah, I I chalk it up, and this this isn't something I can just back up with numbers, but the team just seemed out of rhythm. And when you look at kind of what starts that, I think you then go back to what usually instigates that rhythm and creates that rhythm, and that's Chris. I think Chris being out of it, if you will, not himself, not able to create the flow and kind of set the set the scene like he usually does. Like he usually dictates tempo. He dictates what's going to work offensively. And then the Suns kind of branch out from that. Like you get something that's working and then you do your variations. You do your splits. You find ways to counter the counter but we never had something to work on, right? Like we never got established offensively. And that goes back, unfortunately, to, to Chris in that first half, which is, I think Ryan used the word uncharacteristic in the way that we shot around the rim. Chris was, this was an uncharacteristic game for Chris Paul. I think anyone that has watched any amount of Chris Paul games, Suns games, whatever knows, this is not, this is an outlier. And I also don't think this was created by the Mavs. And that people might want to argue with, and that's fine. I agree, Philip. They upped their defensive pressure. They cramped the Suns' space in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, I still don't think a Chris Paul performance like this was dictated by the Mavs' defense. And so that's, I think, just what threw everything off to start. And then we just weren't able to really get clicking. Did you see something different on that end of things, Philip? Do you think the Mavs, I should be giving them more credit for the offensive struggles the Suns had? Not for, not for CP's turnovers. I thought several of his turnovers were just lazy passes, assumed passes would be open that weren't, that weren't there. I thought the Mavs second half defense probably does deserve to get, to get some credit, especially in the third quarter. The the Suns in games one and then especially in game two, the Suns were getting the matchups they wanted very easily in pick and rolls. And the Mavericks, by where they started Luka and then what they did with Luka, made life more difficult, made the Suns take up additional time. So I'll give I'll give one example. In the third quarter, with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker, the Suns tried to run double screens on ball to get Luca on one of the two primary ball handlers for the Suns to try to get him matched up on Booker or CP3. The Mavericks did not want that. Now, when you run a double screen, 
the floor is obviously cramped because you have three of your five offensive players right there. So the way the Mavericks countered that was they blitzed the ball handler. Hard blitzes on Booker and a little bit less on CP3, but still a blitz. And we've talked about this on the podcast. The goal of that blitz is to get rid of the ball. A couple of big things on that. Number one, it means a secondary playmaker is having to step up there, which sometimes is okay for the Suns, but you would still rather it be CP3 or Booker. And then Luca's not having to go one-on-one against those two elite offensive juggernauts that that the Suns have. So I thought that was really well done from the Mavs. It was a way for them to attack hard on CP3 and Booker without necessarily having Luca be the one who is exerting that additional energy to get the ball out of their hands. Because he didn't look great against them last time, but when Luca's in a drop against Jay Crowder instead of being right up on him, that's less energy that he's having to exert. And he's inviting Jay to either take a dribble pull up three, which he made a couple tonight or a floater. And the Mavericks are going to live with that. Yeah. And I also Booker also had five turnovers. I think it's easy to talk about Paul's seven because of how odd it was and how in short succession it was, but Booker was having some turnover woes himself. The offense just wasn't clicking. It didn't look 0.5. And if you, if you've not listened to some of the coach talk before, not listened to us, the 0.5 offense, Monty Williams offense, the, you are making a decision to pass or attack in half a second. That just wasn't there. We saw a lot of late shot clock bailouts. We saw a lot of just, just looked like confusion. Like it just looked like they were out of sorts and it, it, just kept repeating. And that's what I think threw me off. Um, I'm surprised by it. Honestly, I I'm surprised that they weren't able to figure it out. Uh, I think they took advantage of some of the, the moments that were given to them. Luca. I mean, Luca had five fouls. Like if you look at another game and I tell you that Luca gets his fifth foul with eight minutes left in the fourth and they have to pull them, you would assume it's it's barbecue chicken, right? Like the Suns are going to eat. It's the fourth quarter and Luca is out. Yet they continued to get it done. And I thought we saw a similar stretch tonight that we did in game two when Luca came out with his fourth, and that was five minute mark in the third quarter, where the Suns just weren't able to get it done. They were a plus one. So they lost the third quarter by eight. They were a plus one in the non Luca minutes. That's five minutes without Luca. You go plus one. And then again, you go back to the fourth quarter, eight minutes. They get within 10, but that's still a plus five, plus six at best. They just weren't able to take advantage like I would expect them to. And that's that's what con- concerned me, I guess. It just looked like whatever was working in, in night one and two, it wasn't happening tonight. Am I overreacting, Philip? as the uh, person who's a little bit more rational watching these games or, or did they just look off? Cause they were missing bunnies. There were some that looked like they should go in and were half of a half of an inch off that rimmed out on the other side. You're getting Brunson have the ball bounce five times and go in multiple times. Just one of those nights, right? And then Jay Crowder doing his thing almost makes it even weirder because it's, you know, Jay Crowder, but 
it it just the sun just felt off. Is that just a too simple way to kind of put game three behind me and move forward? No, and and on a night like tonight where Doran Finney Smith and the other Mavericks defenders, I thought Klebe even had some good good possessions defensively when they're making life so hard on CP3 and Booker and when CP3 and Booker are making their own lives a bit harder. As you pointed out, Ethan, you need someone else to be the outlet. Jay Crowder was going for the Jay Crowder game tonight. Hats off to him offensively. He was very good. 19.7 rebounds, five assists. That's a it's a dream stat line for Jay Crowder in the role that he plays. But Ryan, cover your ears. Oh no. It's the Ofer, isn't it? Is it the Ofer? Ofer four. Yeah. Ofer four. It's campaign could you have to get you have to get scoring from that third guard position because for a decent chunk of the game, he's really the second guard who's flanking CP three. And at the end of the at the end of the first quarter, and sometimes at the end of the third, he's flanking Booker as well. Like you've got you've got to get some sort of productivity from campaign, and he just wasn't he wasn't there tonight. Well, and I think call, calling a spade a spade. If we're looking at so far the entire postseason, uh, campaign's been the weak link. Uh, I, I think if you look top to bottom of anybody who's getting any kind of major minutes, campaign has noticeably been the weak link, and I know. You know, I, I I love the guy, but it's it's not been there. Uh, we had questions coming into the postseason about his consistency, and and he just hasn't showed much at all. Um, you know, I, I think I was of the three of us the hardest on Landry Shamit, and I think he's been stellar this postseason. And campaign has just been at a weak spot. It's been so, really disappointing. So I actually had a note to start the fourth. Landry kind of was the spark plug to get them going back in the fourth. And a lot of it was not the traditional Landry offense, like in terms of what was standing out. Well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is like, it wasn't him hitting the threes off of a a curling screen. Like he was probing the paint and getting assists to the big, like he was making good passes, good reads. And for me, if you look how the campaign minutes usually play out, it's usually next to Paul where he's still not the primary ball handler and creator or as the true point guard in the bench unit. I would really like to see more Landry minutes in the playing next to Chris Paul space. Like I don't want him to step in for cam in the lead the unit. Number two, I think that's too much to ask. I think that's unrealistic. A lot of Suns fans are asking for holiday. I've not seen enough to, to think that would work. I know a lot of folks love him. That's great. There's no way that there's been enough trust built to do that. That'd be nuts. Uh, if it happens and I'm wrong, great. That means it's a success. But I would love to see Landry's minutes at the two increase and Cam's minutes go back to, I need you to run and facilitate the second unit. Create for others. Attack the basket if it is given to you, but facilitate and give Chris some rest. But Landry defensively has also been well what, above average. His, in the third quarter, he came in late, if I remember right. And there were several times where they kept trying to go at him, and he wasn't letting anything by. And it was it was just – it was so fun to watch I, him be locked in like that. I am – I am my, my 
continued creeping towards just being a massive Landry fan. It's just, I mean, defensively, he does everything you need him to do to allow him to stay on the court to provide what he does on offense. I think if you're looking for an adjustment, fingers crossed, I think that's got to be it. Campaign minutes are not it right now. I'm sorry. And Monty, Monty is a, I'm going to ride or die, not only with my plan, but with my guys. And he seems to be very set on maintaining the same guys, the same rotation. I'm not, and this is, I want to be really clear about this. This is not an overreaction for me to a game three loss. This is me looking at the sample size of the playoffs and saying, I think this adjustment is needed well beyond game four against Dallas. This is this is just kind of where, where I'm at because campaign is just, I, I don't know how many more opportunities you're going to get. And Landry continues to prove himself on ball defensively primarily because that's going to be huge in this series. One of the realities against Dallas is as soon as they bring Kleba in, you can't really crash the paint. You're going to be depending on your guys to stand up dudes who are driving to the basket. Landry's better than campaign at that full stop, not even close, but then on the offensive end, better three point shooter. And currently, currently I'm more comfortable with Landry slashing at the basket than I am campaign. Landry has shown a sneaky athleticism, kind of like Cam Johnson used to do where he, you would see his bounce and you go, Whoa, where did that come from? Landry has that. He has a refined aggression about him where he seems to pick his spots really well. I, if there was a single personnel, if there was a single personnel change, I would hope Landry's minutes at the very least flip flops with campaign tonight. Cam had about 14 minutes and Landry had 10 flip those go 15, nine maybe and allow campaign to be in there maybe for a few minutes to try to get out in transition and run. But last year, what made campaign so remarkable was as he drove to the basket, his floaters and his weird around the basket finishing was spectacular and right now, it just seems broken. One more point of concern for me as we look at things that may need to change on the personnel. Uh, JaVale McGee, once again for me, was another one where I looked more often than not and said, this isn't working. And I think I test can back it up. I think the plus minus, which a quick explanation, a simplified version of plus minus. You can see McHale was a minus 12 and JaVale was a minus eight and be like, well, if you're looking plus minus, McHale sucked more than JaVale. That's not, that's not it. A big part of it is minutes in response to the plus minus using those as a comparison. JaVale in his 15 minutes was a plus eight. Minus, minus eight. eight. And, or minus eight. Sorry. Thank you. And and I think that was very, very uh, apparent. Uh, we had a comment come in. What about Shamit playing the, the point guard backup? He's a better playmaker. I don't, I mean, if you're comparing it to what campaign is doing now, then maybe. Uh, I do think the the Wichita State Landry is slowly coming out. Uh, so I'll let, I'll let you touch on that one. But, but now I, I still want to say the JaVale conversation, Philip. 
is JaVale able to stay on the court when the Mavs are bringing in some of these five-out type lineups? Because it's very, I don't know, like it, it's reminding me of the Gobert minutes in Utah where the big feels like he has to stay glued to the rim and that's not going to work. And when you have that mentality, you over-rotate, you overcommit, you don't know when to move, and that just leaves open shooters, which you just can't really let happen right now. So, again, we'll get back to the Shamit question in just a moment, but JaVale as a whole, Philip, what are your thoughts? He was a warrior, so I know you love him a little bit. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. What were your thoughts, JaVale, tonight, and then I guess just JaVale moving forward? The, the play that exemplifies it is, about a minute and 50 left in the third quarter. They just swing the ball one pass over to Kleba. He's maybe half a foot outside the three point line, but JaVale is <laughs> two big steps off of him. Yep. And he knocked down a three. And I think I threw, I was taking notes in the little notepad. That's when you threw the I book in the threw air. Threw my pen up in the yes. air. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is the guy who's been the knockdown shooter for them, and you're two full steps off of him, and you're not two full steps off of him coming back, helping off of a drive. You're just two full steps you're off there. of him, just yeah. where someone someone beyond the three-point line threw it to another guy beyond the three-point line, and you left him wide open. So that that's a problem. But then even when he helps, he overextends. And we've talked about this before. JaVale is fast. He's not quick. He doesn't have the quickness to get back on Kleba. And if Kleba is going to be assertive going downhill when JaVale is overextending like that, JaVale's, JaVale's minutes may be numbered unless they figure something else out. Like if Frank Nidalekina is in there, maybe JaVale sets up against him and can kind of float because they're not going to, they're not going to respect Frank's shot. Do you think that means small ball five or you think that means more busy minutes? Taking give me minutes. Give me ish minutes. I don't know. I don't. He's doing such a good job cheering on the bench. I really don't want to take that <laughs> away right now because his vibes are immaculate. Let's not mess up with a good thing. Busy is so much better guarding the pick and roll. His lateral. I, yeah. It, I haven't. I haven't watched him as closely. Closing out to shooters, helping and recovering onto guys who are really good shooters, because usually he's guarding a center and his job is to get up to the level of the screen, make the pass hard and then dart back and recover. Yep. He might be a better option, but if he's clearly a better option, he would already be in the games because JaVale's not giving you that much. That is that is a very correct statement. JaVale is not giving you that much. Uh Philip, to the question we had coming in right as we ended the uh, the backup guard conversation, Shamit, backup point guard. I think you already answered it earlier, but yeah, I'm down for it. I'm yeah, I'm there. But with the qualification that campaign has been playing alongside Booker or CP3 pretty much the entire time that he's out there, as long as that's the case, yes, Correct. Shamit running point without CP3 and without Booker, absolutely no. not. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to the final question. And that is a question that I'm guessing most of Sun's Twitter jumped to immediately following the game. We like to take our time before getting there. And that's where we at on the panic meter. Where are we clocking in? I'll go ahead and uh, start us off. Let's let's let the rubric be on a a zero to ten. A ten being 
burn the house down, the series over, I don't know what to do with my life, zero being Sons and Four, even though that is <laughs> not even possible. So, Ryan, I'm going to go to you first. Where are you at on the panic meter following game three? I'm at a three. Um, I, I, I'm Three is more even more based on just the disappointment of the loss. Uh, but through the first two games, I think we were clearly the better team. Tonight, we can point to some very specific things that just weren't going for us and I think hurt us more than the Mavericks hurt us directly. Um, you know, the Mavericks finally had a more complete team game, uh, but I'm still not that worried moving forward. Um, tonight's a bummer, but we move on. We get game four, hopefully on the road on Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm chilling at a nice, cool, comfortable three right now. Philip, where are you at? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? Go ahead and say because it. Because three, three popped into my mind. Right. Exactly. And I think it's three because even from my limited understanding of basketball, I think there's some pretty obvious adjustments that can be made. I wasn't super impressed with how the Mavericks were getting back on defense. So I think there are little things that the Suns can do. Um running transition pick and rolls like fast like we get up the court and we're running a pick and roll specifically running an empty corner pick and roll so that the Mavericks can't load up and blitz without someone having a straight line drive or a rim run directly to the basket I like CP or uh, excuse me Booker pick and rolls into CP3 being the secondary playmaker because once once the defense starts rotating it's pretty chaotic there on the court, and I trust CP3 to make the decision to find Ethan, the tertiary option, mm-hmm. to attack himself to take that shot. I like that. And then continue to attack Luca, figure out, figure out how to attack Luca as best we can. Yeah. And I think going off of uh, two of the things you said, number one, I also love the idea of letting Paul be that second guy because a lot of the times he's the one making the tougher decision when things are a little bit cloudier. But unfortunately, we didn't have really... Now, I'm going to pause. We'll get to Jay in a second. We didn't have any of our traditional scoring looks or scoring guys from those looks that we traditionally have. Like We didn't see the Mikhail cuts for buckets. We didn't see Cam cutting for a bucket. A lot of Jay's scoring was bailouts, or, you know what I mean, a lot of stuff that is not within the flow of the offense. You saw a couple times where he'd flare out and just had the space. But again, Luca was giving him that space. I don't think we were earning that space. So I didn't I didn't love that. And then again, just going going back to the panic of I think the I think the problems were obvious. And one of your solutions was actually a big one that I was gonna bring up. One of the halftime stats that I that I wrote down was at the fast break, fast break points for each team. It was two to five at halftime. It was a slow game, and no one tried to pick up the tempo to force the other team into changing what they were doing. And for me, if I'm the Suns, if they're hoping to, the Mavs, that is, get into the half-court defense, up the pressure, up the physicality, don't, don't let them get comfortable. Like you said, the empty corner looks the high pick and the high pick and roll off the quick transition, like something to get you into the action quicker, prevent them from getting set up, utilize the open space that comes from a transition opportunity 
and make something of it because I don't think the Mavs can run with the Suns. I think the Suns can get out. They can run. They can capitalize. It's not the Pelicans. And that's what gets Luka tired. Some of our favorite, my favorite comments are us texting that the Suns just scored a transition bucket and Luka just got to the half line because the big fella is not going to be running for that. He's pooped. And so, again, I agree. I think I'm at a three seems right. Four seems too high. Two seems too low. Three seems to be a good sweet spot for me. Um, And so, again, not that panicked. I think I think we're all comfortable saying that. That said, there are things that need to change. Quick hits, look into game four. Ryan, what's the one thing you're looking for, whether that's an adjustment, whether that's Chris Paul to not turn it over seven times in the first half? Uh, what, what's your focus getting ready for Sunday afternoon? Protect the ball and finish around the rim. I think if you clean those two areas up, a lot of the other things will take care of itself. Yep. I, it's simple, but in incredibly accurate in my book. Philip, what do you think? Expect an exceptional Chris Paul game. I don't I don't think you can bank on if you're the Mavs, I don't think you can bank on another bad CP3 game really the rest of this the rest of the series. And CP3 kind of has a little bit of what guys like Clay Thompson have in them. Like Clay had an awful game the other night against the Grizzlies and I would put I would put so much money on whatever his over is for points tomorrow. They're they're just guys, especially veterans in the league, who respond so well when they've had a poor game. And I think CP3 is the kind of guy, he's going to take ownership of his poor performance, especially in the first half, and I would expect him to be just on it next next game. Uh, Looking to game four, I expect a win. I don't think think what we saw tonight happens again. I think... Ryan said it early, the Suns shot themselves in the foot a lot, and they did it early, and that's really tough to kind of reestablish a rhythm once that happens. So that said, game four, a Sunday afternoon game, I believe 2.30 Central time, uh, due to some personal plans from the wife and I, we will be able to watch the game in a normal, timely fashion. We're not going to be hitting you up with a post-game episode immediately after but do be expecting that Sunday night just won't be as, as quick as typical. So we appreciate your patience on that one. As much fun as it is staying up till the wee hours recording podcasts all the time, um, I'm looking, looking forward to a little bit of a break Sunday. So I ain't mad there. Uh, we've done this enough that I think I know exactly what you're both going to say. But Ryan and Philip, anything you want to add before we close the episode? Ryan? Go Suns. And happy birthday, Chris Paul. It was really nice of him to give the Mavericks such a nice gift for his birthday. Philip? (laughs) Go, son. Chris Paul, be better. (laughs) I'm down with both of those. Well, for Ryan and Philip, I am Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley, Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out. We out.